focus on that last verse. God acts or God works or God does for those who wait upon him. And we spent the entire sermon really working through that idea that God works for us. That simple statement makes God unique from all the other gods the world has ever seen. All the other gods say, come and work for me. Come and carry me. Come and satisfy me. But we serve a God who says, I want to work for you. Now, it doesn't mean that God is unemployed and he's looking for work. It simply means this. We are hopeless and he's the only one that can give us hope. We are lost, and he's the only one who can save us. We are in the dark, and he's the only one who can give us light. He can give us the only things that we cannot find in the rest of the world. And so we serve a God that is so unique, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined anything that can compare to the God that we serve. But the verse continues, and it says that God works or God acts, or God does for those who wait upon him. There is one qualification, there's one condition, and I want you to notice it has nothing to do with church attendance. It has nothing to do with giving your tithe every week. It has nothing to do with singing in the choir or teaching a class. It has nothing to do with using your gifts, your talents, or your abilities. In this verse, there is one requirement, and that is simply that we wait upon God. God works for those who wait upon him. Is there anybody in here this morning who hates to wait? I am so impatient. The other day, I was working on the house, putting these outside lights around the house, and I had to go hook them up in the attic, but I needed some parts, and so I needed a a junction box and some various parts, and so I told Brittany, get the kids, we'll go to Home Depot, and then we'll go to Andy's and get some ice cream. You got to sell them, you know, to go make the trip, and so, so we did. We went to Home Depot, and then we went to Andy's, got some custard, and I'm ready to go home and finish my project. And Brittany has this splendid idea. She says, Case, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go out to Carmela's and look at the Christmas lights. Now, Carmela's is a beautiful place. If you've not been, there are millions, it seems like, of Christmas lights. Beautiful. The problem is when you go over the hill to to get into Carmela's, you see the cars are lined up for miles and miles and miles. And so we topped that hill, and I saw this line of cars, and I was thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. But I smiled, and I played the good husband, and she smiled, and we went, and we got in line, and it seemed like we waited in that line for at least six months, <laughs> at least six months, until finally we got to see the Christmas lights. I hate to wait. It's not an enjoyable process for me. I was in my doctor's office two weeks ago having my yearly visit, and you sit in that, that small cramped room, and you're thinking, when is this man going to enter the door? And you just watch that door, and I'm watching the knob, and I'm praying, Lord, let that knob to turn. I want him to come through. It seems like I've been here forever. I'm in agony. I can't take it any longer. And I look at my watch, and it's been 15 minutes. But it seems like so much longer. I don't like to wait, but the Bible makes it clear that if we want God to work for us, then we must be willing to wait upon him. And so I want to take our time this morning, and I want us to evaluate what does it mean to wait upon God? 
What does it mean to wait upon God? Number one, waiting equals complete dependence on God. Waiting equals complete dependence upon God. The word wait in the Hebrew, in its purest form, refers to a patient, confident, expectant faith. A faith truly simple in its unwavering trust in the divine promises of God. To wait is to boast in our confidence of his eventual action. To wait on God means that I have no other option. I have no plan B. I have no other course of action. I am focused totally and solely upon God for the issue that I'm facing. Biblical waiting refuses to run ahead of God and it refuses to lag behind God. Biblical waiting means that I desire to stay right in the center of God's will. It means that I depend upon him. Isaiah 46, 4, it says, Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and will save. Here in Isaiah 46, God makes this statement. He says, I will carry you. When I read that, I began to think, what does that mean that God wants to carry me? He wants to carry you, his children. I thought back to when Brittany was pregnant with our boys, Mason and Maddox. Uh, those little babies began to grow and I began to think, man, I love them so much. I hadn't even seen them yet, but I love uh, my boys. I was so excited. But then there's this reality check that hit when I'm standing there in these scrubs and this nurse comes and she puts one in my left arm and one in my right arm. And I look down and my two boys are here, both about five pounds, tiny. And I look down and, and I, for the first time, realize they totally depend upon me. They, they need me for their their sustainment of life. They need me. They need me to provide for them. They need me to put their needs above my own needs. And this is what it is to carry. It means that they are totally dependent upon the one who carries them. So when the Lord writes this, when he looks at us and he says, I will carry you, what he's saying is, I want you to totally depend upon me. Know that I'm the one who's carrying you. You're not carrying yourself. You're not going through life on your own strength, but allow me to carry you. And I wonder this morning, do you allow God to carry you? Do you depend upon him? Do you depend upon him when you go through trials? Do you depend upon him when you go through adversities? When you go through a Christmas season and the family doesn't gather like it normally does, do you still depend upon him? The sad truth is that most of us truly do not depend upon God. We depend upon our money. We depend upon our job. We depend upon all the world has to offer but few of us really depend upon God. Now, why is that? Why do we not relinquish control of our life? Here's what I believe. We think that God will do a worse job managing our life than we will. Now, we wouldn't say that. That's not good church talk. But for many of us, we believe that we know better than what God knows. Think of the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, our, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And then what does it say? Your kingdom come and your will be done. Most of us pray more like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come and my will be done. 
And when we go to pray, what do we do? Lord, here's my problem, and here's how I want you to fix it. Lord, I've got this problem, and it's a big problem, but I know exactly what you need to do to fix it. So let me give you my list so you can work out my problems the best way possible. And for many of us, we tell God what to do. It's like for me, when I go to my doctor, I've already contacted Dr. Google, and I've learned from Google, and I'll walk in, and I tell the doctor what's wrong with me. Anybody else do that? And so that's what we do with God a lot of times. We say, God, this is what I need, and this is how I need you to do it. So point one is waiting demands dependence upon God. But point two is this. Waiting allows him to decide the terms. Waiting on God allows him to decide the terms. It's one thing to depend, but it's something else to let God decide the terms. The way that God operates may not be the way that I would choose. Has God ever worked in your life and you stood back and you said, wait a minute, God, that's not what I wanted. In John chapter 11, we see a good example of this. It begins in verse 1 and 2, and it, it says, Now there was a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And so there's Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And the Bible says that one day Mary and Martha wake up, they see Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick. Now, they do the right thing. They depend upon Jesus. And so they send word to Jesus, and the word is simply this. Jesus, the one whom you love, is ill. They're depending upon God. That's point one. That's great. That's awesome. Good start. Lord, the one that you love is ill, and there's an expectation to that. They're expecting that Jesus will immediately stop what he's doing. He will come to Bethany. He will come to the aid of Lazarus, and he will heal Lazarus. But that's not what Jesus does. The Bible continues, and in verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He found out Lazarus was sick. Lazarus is not doing good. He loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he stays two days longer. Do you know why he stays? He stays so that Lazarus will die. That's why he stays. That's not what Mary and Martha wanted. They wanted Jesus to come immediately, but he stays so that Lazarus dies. When Jesus returns, both sisters make this statement to him. Lord, if you would have come sooner, this would not have happened. We sent for you. We expected you to come, but you didn't, and now Lazarus is dead. Do you see what they've done? They depended upon Jesus, but they did not allow Jesus to set the terms of the arrangement. For many of us, we depend upon Jesus, we depend upon the Lord, but we also want him to work just the way that we tell him. Here's my question for you. Do you still have faith? Will you still wait upon God when you don't understand what's happening? Will you still have faith and wait upon God when you look up to the heavens and you say, God, I really don't get it. This makes no sense to me. Do you still have faith? Will you still have faith when you get a meeting at your office and you just found out that you lost your job? Do you still have faith in that moment? 
Will you still have faith? Will you continue to wait upon the Lord when the doctor calls and says, hey, the test doesn't look good. I need you to come into the office so we can talk. Do you still have faith in that moment? It's one thing to depend upon God, but it's another to say, Lord, you are in total control and whatever your will is, I'm going to submit under that. And for many of us, that's when it gets tough. That's when it gets difficult. You want an example of this? In Luke chapter 22, the death of Jesus is on the horizon. And so he's met with his disciples. They go out to the garden. The disciples are supposed to be praying. Jesus goes in the inner part of the garden. He kneels down. He's praying. And the Bible said that his sweat turns into great drops of blood. He's in much anguish, much much agony. And he says this prayer, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, Lord, is there another option? Is there another course of action that we could take? I'm not really looking forward to what's going to happen in the next few days. Is there another option on this? But then he says this, but nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. If this is the way it needs to happen, then I am submitting and I am surrendering under that. Listen to me, to wait upon God means, number one, I trust you. But number two, it also means that whatever you decide, I'm going to submit under it. Because I know that you're God and I'm not. I know that you have the wisdom that I don't have. I know that you have the knowledge that I don't have. I know that I may not get it, I may not understand it, but I trust you no matter what. And I just wonder, can we say that this morning? It's easy to say, I love the Lord and I trust God when everything's going smoothly. But what about when things are tough? What about when life gets difficult? What about when God works in a way that is totally opposite from the way that you wish he would work? In that moment, Do you still trust him? In that moment, can you still wait upon him? Waiting requires dependence. It requires relinquishing control. Number three, waiting on the Lord removes self-reliance. Waiting on the Lord removes self-reliance. He may tell you to do nothing, and he may tell you to do something. When God revealed himself through the events of the exodus, the plagues, the dividing of the Red Sea. God is the one who did all the work. You remember the plagues? There's the, the, the water in the blood. There's the gnats and the frogs and the boils. Eventually, there's the killing of the firstborn son. What, the, it, what did the Israelites do through all of this? They waited. They waited upon God. Eventually, they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost, but they just waited upon God, and then they stepped out in obedience. They watched as God worked. When they got to the the sea and they looked ahead of them and there's water and they looked back and the chariots are coming full speed right at them. Do you remember what they did? They began to complain. They said, Lord, are, are there not enough graves in Egypt that we had to come out to this wilderness to die? They're being sarcastic. Have you brought us out this way so that we may die? And Moses replied, let me read it to you. He said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. There it is. You wait upon God. He will work for you. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, 
And you only have to be silent. God did all the work. God opened those waters that people walked through. And then as the enemy was coming through after them, God pushed the waters back together. They just had to be obedient and wait upon God. Do you remember the, the battle of Jericho? It's about the worst military plan you could imagine. They go out around the city and they march around it day after day after day. They're silent. They're just marching. It makes no sense. They look crazy. But God shows up and the walls come tumbling down. All they had to do was wait and depend and trust the terms of God. And he worked in a mighty way. Listen, those who give up their own frantic efforts to save themselves and turn expectantly to God will be able to replace or exchange their worn-out strength for new strength. Self-reliance is exhausting. There's some of us in here this morning, and we're exhausted from Christmas. Here's what happened. You spent the last week trying to put together the perfect Christmas because you thought it would bring joy and you thought it would bring happiness and you thought it would bring this family together and in doing so you're just worn out how many mom and daddy stayed up late on christmas eve putting gifts together making sure the meal was just perfect making sure that everything was in its proper place we do all these things and at the end of the day we are exhausted and many people today are just utterly exhausted isaiah 40 Verses 30 and 31 says this, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who, catch it, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel worn out? Here's what the Bible says. If you want to regain that strength, what should you do? Just wait upon the Lord. Just trust him. Just depend upon him. You don't have the tools in your arsenal to navigate through the complexities of life. Have you ever tried to do a task that you did not have the proper tool for? It'd be like me telling you to go dig a hole, but you don't have a shovel. And so I give you a spoon. What's going to happen? You're going to go. You're going to dig, but you're not going to get much done, and you're going to get exhausted in the process. It's like me telling you to go mow the grass without a lawnmower. And so I toss you a pair of scissors, and you go in the yard, and you start cutting the grass. You don't get much done, and you're going to be exhausted. Listen, the world does not have the joy we're looking for. The world cannot offer the peace that we long for. Only God can give us that. And so he says, if you're exhausted and the world is leaving you burnt out, just wait upon me. Just wait upon the Lord. Jesus said it like this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of us this morning, what we need most is just to rest in the Lord. Just to slow down. And stop doing so much. Stop worrying so much about our action and just worry about who we are in him. Let me show you a couple more things. Let me show you the curse of self-reliance. Isaiah 31.1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help 
and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe to those who look to the strong chariots and the strong horsemen. Make it today. Woe to those who look to their bank account and think everything's okay. Woe to those who look at their job and think their life is on track. Woe to those who watch the stock market and they judge their day by the stock market. Woe to those who look at everything the world has to offer, but they never look to God. They never wait upon the Lord. They never depend upon the Lord. Woe to those What's going to happen? They're going to live in defeat. It says in 2 Chronicles 16, At that time, Hanai the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied upon the king of Syria and did not rely upon the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. You relied upon the king. You relied upon what the world has to offer. Because of that, you're going to live in defeat. When we live our life based upon our own gifts and talents and abilities, then we are going to live in a constant state of defeat. Let me show you the consequences of self-reliance. What happens when we rely upon ourselves? Genesis 15 says that Abram goes out and God makes a promise to him. He says, Abram, look up in the, the sky. Count the stars. And I picture that Abram looks up and he begins to try to count one, two, and there's just so many he can't count. And God makes this promise and says, Abraham, that's how your offspring are going to be. You're going to have that many offspring, just like the stars in the sky. Now, I have no idea how much time passes between Genesis 15 and Genesis 16. But when you get to Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. She's getting impatient. You ever get impatient with God? God, you're not working fast enough. And so she gets impatient, and she comes up with this plan in verse 2. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Verse 15, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. That was not the plan of God. God's plan was to work through Abram and his wife and have multiple offspring, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But they believed they were helping God. They believed they were doing what is right, and they devised a plan. And I want you to notice that their plan has brought misery from that moment all the way to the present. Ishmael was born. The Ishmaelites were in great conflict with the people of God. Even today, you can trace the Muslim religion all the way back to Ishmael right here, and we see the conflict that's still happening today between the Muslims and the people of God. And it all goes back to this right here. It all goes back to where Abraham and Sarah would not wait upon God. Here's my point. When we when we forgo waiting upon God, we bring consequences upon our life. So there's the curse of self-reliance. 
Let me show you the blessings of God-reliance. We're almost done. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in God. The one who trusts in God is like a tree that's, that's planted by the streams. And the roots go down and they get into the water. And even when the heat comes, the leaves still stand on this tree. Even when the drought comes and things are difficult and things are tough, the tree still stands and it produces fruit. Do you know why? Because it trusts in God. Listen, friends, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of political unrest, even in the midst of, of racial disputes, as Christians, we ought to stand firm. We ought to produce fruit because we are founded upon the Lord. That's what he's saying. He says, we trust in the Lord. And because of that, even when things get tough, we are still a fruit-bearing group of people. And so here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you waiting upon God? Maybe in your life you're going through a difficult season. Maybe there's, there's something that you don't understand. You don't get why God's working the way that he's working. And I wonder, even in the midst of this, can you still Wait, depend, and trust in God. But it's not just about when we go through adversity. It is a season of our life. I want to close and show you something I find interesting. Open your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Our subject is simple. God works for those who wait upon him. God works for those who wait upon him. And I want to show you something out of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Early on in the ministry of Jesus, he goes in, he gets the scroll, and he begins to read from Isaiah chapter 61. He reads verse 1, and he reads part of verse 2, and he stops. You see, the people are expecting a Messiah. They're expecting one who will come and deliver them from their bondage and who will bring judgment upon their enemies. What's interesting is when Jesus is reading, he stops mid-sentence. If you go back to Isaiah 61 verse 2, that's where he stops. He stops on a comma. The verse 2 says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. 
But he stopped on a comma. He stopped in the middle of the sentence and he sat down. Do you know why he did this? He did this because he's talking about what he has done. He is the Messiah who has come to give sight to the blind, to to free those who are oppressed. But the rest is yet to come. The rest is going to be centuries later. In other words, even today in the church age, we are living in the comma. We're living in this in-between moment to where we've experienced the goodness of Jesus, but we're looking forward to the second coming. It says in Philippians, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await, God works for those who wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And early on in Luke 4, Jesus gets up, he reads from the scroll, and in a sense he says, there's a lot that's happening right now, but there's also more that you're going to expect in the future. And in the meantime, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have a spirit of waiting. It ought to be that the world looks at us and they see that we're waiting for more. There's much pain around us, but there's coming a time when there will be no more pain. There's much suffering around us, but we're expecting with a great hope that something is going to happen to change all of this. There's a pandemic, there's death, there's cancer, there's job loss, but we're looking forward to the future because right now we're living in the comma. So how do we do that? How do we wait upon God? We depend upon him. We allow him to set the terms. We avoid self-reliance. And we rely solely upon God. Let me ask you to bow your head and I want you to think about this. It could be that in your life, the Lord has shown you something. And he said to you, you know what? You're depending so much upon what you have. You're depending on your riches, and you're depending upon your job, and you're depending upon the stability the world has to offer, and you're not depending upon me for anything. And maybe the Lord's challenging you this morning, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to work on your behalf, but what I need you to do is to wait upon me. I need you to depend I need you to let me set the terms. It may not make sense to you, but I'm God and you're not. I need you to quit being self-reliant and to rely totally upon me. Maybe there's some in here this morning and you're ready to do just that. You're ready to relinquish control of your life and to give it to the Lord. Every one of us, we're waiting. We're living in the comma. The sentence has not been finished yet. And in the meantime, are we going to be found faithful? Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. I pray that you've spoken to us. I pray that you've challenged us. Lord, I pray that we'll be obedient to what you ask us to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me invite you to stand with us. Let's sing together. Just as I am without one. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to
By the 